Welcome to Days of Roar, a Detroit Free Press podcast. My name is Mark Gorash. I'm a public baseball analyst. I'm here with Free Press beat writer Evan Petzold. Evan, how you doing down there in Florida? You've been down there a long time, man. Yeah, I have been down here for a while. Mark, it's going to be back for week two of the podcast. Uh, it's certainly a good thing when you make it to week two, correct? Uh, hopefully we can make it to, to, to week 52 um, at some point. But uh, to make it to week two, that's a good sign, right? Week two is a good sign, a very, very good sign. I've uh, almost always made it to week two and everything. Uh, week three, a little less uh, success, but week two, I've made it almost every, every every time I've embarked on something. So so it's uh, been very warm down there this week. You look very tan. There's been a lot of Tiger home runs, a lot of Tiger wins, and actually a lot of interesting Tiger things this week. So why don't you uh, let's jump into it and we got a lot of things to talk about wanted right off the jump I think something that has been giving a lot of Tiger fans unnecessary angst which has been Spencer Torkelson and let's jump in a little bit you wrote a really good article about Spencer about the mental side of his preparation and I think all week he's done nothing but hit one or two scuds every game a lot of them are getting caught, but why don't you elaborate a little bit on what you're seeing from him in the batter's box, and then we can talk a little bit about his preparation. Not only just the last like week or so, it's almost been all of spring training, um, really coming out of you know live BPs and getting into games. The first pitch that he saw, or his first at-bat, I should say, drilled it to the deepest part of center field. It went 415 feet, and it was a, it was an out at the back of Joker Margin Stadium there. In, in the deepest part of center field. And it was like, oh, wow. Like that was, that was impressive to see him hit the ball that hard. And he has just continued to hit the ball that hard over and over and over and over. It's, it's become kind of like a thing where this guy's just not getting rewarded for hard hit balls. And, you know, when you go through that, it's, it's the question is, how, how do you manage that? How do you deal with that? Right. We saw him in the past. We've seen him drop F bombs before after strikeouts. We've seen him hanging his head. We've seen, a very frustrated version of Spencer Torkelson um, speaking to, to last season. And it was interesting talking to him with a mental performance coach that he hired in the offseason. He talked about just kind of really understanding like his process as opposed to the results. And I thought that just through that, it's a good example of, hey, like let's not just look at the numbers. And, and we're, we're going to talk about this a lot, this podcast, because I think it's going to come up with guys like Parker Meadows and Andre Lipschitz, who we're going to get to later. But the process and, and the experience and, and is way more important than what the numbers are saying. And I have some examples of that too. But Torkelson's batting 200 with no home runs. But Mark, that doesn't tell the full story. Well, I think mature hitters understand that every time they go up there, they try to be consistent and repeat their process. If they hit the ball hard, you know, in the major leagues, people are going to catch the baseball. But over the course of, you know, 25 to 38 bats a week, week after week, your batting average balls in play, which those numbers start normalizing and the fielders stop getting in the way all the time. As long as you hit the ball hard, you're usually going to get some pretty good results over a larger sample size. So if you are mature enough to accept that and have patience and stick to the plan, usually your results follow. So I think that's hopefully what Torkelson has learned how to remind himself that all he can do is hit the ball hard. The results will follow. That's where, that's where he's at right now. And that's why, you know, he went and hired the, the mental performance coach and they talk every week and he takes notes and it's just about understanding his process, what he's all about and kind of sticking to that and not allowing, you know, the, what the numbers say on the scoreboard, you know, affect what he's doing day in and day out. And I think that's going to be really big for him. And, and some numbers that jumped out to me, and just a couple of days ago, I was looking and, and I mean, this guy's got a 252 Wobicon, which is essentially his production on balls in play. That's weighted on base average on contact. And then also there's an expected, which is an X Wobicon. And that's basically contact quality. And his Wobicon is 252. His X Wobicon is 700. And that's a huge <laughs> difference, right? That's an example of a guy who's not getting rewarded for what he's doing. His contact quality has been... Uh, among the elite of the elite so far this spring. And he's also got an 84.2% contact rate. And that was based on numbers I was looking at from a couple of days ago. So that tells you he's hitting the ball a ton and his contact quality is great. 
And that's, that's everything that you want from him right now. Like that's exactly where you want him to be. And the results, if he continues that, I mean, that, that is, we are talking like an MVP caliber season, but if he's able to maintain that to an extent, the back of the baseball card results, what, what you see on the scoreboard every day is going to change. It's, it's so early. It's been a few games. The sample size is so small. And I guess you could say that for the numbers that I just provided, but um, I, I do think that the numbers that I provided there are more of an example of the process as opposed to the results. And that's what matters. And that's what he's focused on. So let me break that down in English real fast. Here's a simple explanation of what you're saying. Ev. He's hitting the ball hard. His results on contact are a 252 batting average when he's hitting the ball. Yeah. But when he's putting the ball in play, the expected batting average of the type of ball he's putting in play is over 700. So the results are 252. The expected results, if he were to do that over a large sample size, would be 700. So he is hitting the ball very hard, very well. I'll give you a specific example. One day he had two. He, he made two outs. One went 400 feet. The other one went 380 feet. The expected batting average on one ball was 920. The expected batting average on the other ball was 980. They were both outs. So you know he he can't do much better than that. The uh, exit velocity I think on one was 105.9. The other one was over 110. All good things from Spencer Torkelson, really hitting the ball well. The other thing that has been a big concern that those of us in the baseball community that pay attention to a lot of the numerical minutiae, Torkelson really struggled, struggled against velocity, especially velocity in the middle of the plate. Not a problem this spring. In fact, Johan Duran from Minnesota, who throws well over 100, probably the if not the hardest thrower in the American League, the second hardest thrower. Torkelson faced him, and he lined a single to right on a pitch that was 100.7 miles an hour right down the middle. So all, all good things we're seeing from Spencer Torkelson, and he's invested time into trying to take a more mature approach. He's done other things mechanically that are subtle but proving to be very effective. Smaller bat, a few tweaks with his hand, a little bit of a toe tap all things that are getting him to the front of the plate on time. And we like to say something in baseball, he's beating the pitcher to the spot at the front of the plate. And That's huge. He did that. He did that very little last year. He's done it a shocking amount already this spring, and everybody should be pretty encouraged. Let's see what this week brings. It would be nice to not have to worry about Spencer Torkelson uh, as a productive hitter in the middle of the Detroit lineup. Yeah, definitely no concerns about Torkelson so far. But again, it's so early that we're going to see how this plays out over a longer stretch and if he can maintain it, especially into the regular season when he's facing really good pitching all the time. It's not that he hasn't done it against good pitching in spring training. It's just that you know the volume of good pitchers that you face is going to be much higher once we get into the season. But it's, it's going to be interesting too. Another guy to look at um, that was going to play a little bit of first base is Tyler Nevin. And he goes down with an oblique strain this week. And that's that's a concern. That's a concern for, for, for Tyler, considering the fact that he was getting a lot of reps at third base. He was getting a lot of reps at first base. He can play both corner outfield positions. Um, the Tigers brought in a couple guys that could play first as well as third, namely Nevin and Andy Abanez. And that oblique strain, I mean, those, those are really tricky injuries. Everyone is a little bit different. There was a study from a former Dodgers staffer who did a did a deep dive on the grade one strains which is basically what nevin has and the average player came back in some 27 days and so that's kind of like a rough ball idea of, of how long it might take for him to get back so it almost seems like he's, he's probably going to miss a chance to make the opening day roster i don't want to say that for certain because again you never know but that that's something to monitor for sure because you don't have him you're gonna have to look elsewhere to fill that spot at third base we talked about it last week on the pod you have Nick Maton playing against right-handed hitters. You're going to need someone to play against lefties. Nevin was in that mix. Maybe not anymore. More likely than not, starts the season on the DL, then probably gets a 20-day rehab assignment to Toledo. Probably don't see him till close to May 1st, if, if at all. But Andre Lipsius has gotten off to a pretty spectacular start. I think they're potentially a little 
concerned. I don't know if concerned's a fair word. I think they want to see how reliable he can be defensively. He can play third. He can play second. They've been working him out at first. He's been a little rough at first. But I would say he's the front runner right now until your buddy Andy Ibanez comes back from the WBC. And I think with such a short window of opportunity, it's going to be pretty tough unless Andy's really, really good in a short period of time for him to unseat Lipsius. It's probably his job to lose right now. Well, I think we can get into that in a little bit, but I know too, you can talk about Ibanez. He hasn't played in the WBC uh, because of a sprained finger that he had during an exhibition game. And he took BP in Taiwan recently. Team Cuba, who he plays for, moved on to the next round. So it seems like he could return to the lineup. We'll see if he does or not, but it's not a serious injury. So he's going to be able to come back and, and compete for that job. Matt Veerling had a near, had a knee strain and he missed some time, but he feels like he's fine. He's healthy. He should be back in games relatively soon. I, I picked up from him discussing his knee. He must have had some swelling in his knee. And they had to wait for it to go down before they could start having him at least work out a little bit. Is is that accurate or no? Yeah, it sounded like just some inflammation that he was waiting on for it to go down. He took batting practice on Sunday and um, he basically said too, like it was really precautionary. There wasn't really a whole lot of pain. It was just some tightness in the knee. And it was like, okay, let's just shut this thing down for a second. Let's make sure that I'm all good. And he, he's fine. He just didn't want to risk an injury later on, right? If you continue to play through it, during spring training games, you never know what could happen. But it was back when the Tigers played the Phillies on the road. He was running off the field and, and kind of felt it in his knee a little bit and thought he was going to be all right, but then just decided to shut it down for a minute. And so so he'll be back. No no worries at all about him. They have a couple of split squad games, I think, Monday and Tuesday, right? Yep. Wouldn't be shocked if he DH'd in one of those games before he played the field. Might be a good way to get him back in pretty quick and get a chance to uh, give a bunch of people some at-bats the next two days. You got four games in two days. So I, just wh- while we're talking about injured players, I'm curious if you've had a chance to talk to Tarek Skubal at all about his rehab process, or is that something we can maybe send you to do a little reconnaissance on this week and get back? He, he should be getting to the point where, I don't know if he's ready to throw a bullpen, but he might be ready to throw off the mound soon here. He's definitely working his way up. It, he hasn't put a timeline on anything. He hasn't put a timeline on when he's going to throw a bullpen. Like that has all been, you know, kind of between him and the Tigers. He hasn't really wanted to talk about when he expects to be back or, or what that looks like. But he's playing catch five times a week, working through his throwing progression. Not a ton of newsworthy notes there. Um, it's just kind of wait and see until he takes that next step. And when he does, I'm sure we'll know about it and we'll definitely be able to discuss it. And, and by the way, too, with Veerling, he's not on the travel roster for either a Monday split squad. So I wouldn't expect to see him in a game. Okay. He's not on the travel roster. Nope. Also, Reese Olsen saw that he had shingles. Good to go now. Probably going to see him this week. I'm sure they'll work an inning in for him this week somewhere. Yeah, I think it'd be good to get him into a game. At some point, for sure. Um, but he was one of the guys that was sent down and, and sent back to minor league camp. There's been a handful of cuts so far. Elvis Alvarado, Adam Wolf, Dylan Dingler, Julio Rodriguez. Julio E. Rodriguez, by the way, not the Julio Rodriguez. Uh, Justin Henry Malloy, Colt Keith, obviously Olsen. Wenzel Perez, Angel de Jesus, Brennan Hanafi, and Mario Feliciano. We have 54 players left in camp now. So we're going to see how all that shakes out. We've got a couple weeks left. You're going to see a bunch of cuts here in the next few days, too, I would think. So I I found Feliciano to be pretty interesting. A lot of people think they signed him as a catcher, and I don't think he caught an inning. He did play first base, and he also seemed to hit the ball on a line somewhere in the playing field almost every time he had an at-bat in the last two weeks. I wouldn't be shocked if they turned him into uh, a first baseman in Toledo this year, and he has a very good bat. He was a pretty good prospect for the Brewers. His defense was kind of rough at catcher. He might be able to catch a little bit, but I I really think that he's probably going to play first base this year. In addition to that, you know, they sent Cole Keith out. He, I'm sure, is not too happy about that and probably wishes he could have had a few more major league at-bats, but I'll be interested to see who they send out this week. They got a lot of catchers. They got some arms. We can discuss uh, the pitching staff here soon, but I would assume a guy like Matt Whistler is needing to have a good outing next time or he could be part of the cuts. I'd agree. But also, too, Colt Keith has been coming back. Justin Henry Malloy has been coming back. Hopefully, Wenzel Perez is going to be able to get into some games, too, after coming back from a back injury. 
So we're still going to see some of these guys. Elvis Alvarado is going to come back at some point, I believe. Dylan Dingler could probably get some reps um, once that catcher room thins out a little bit. So we, we definitely haven't seen the last of Colt Keith or Jay Hen, Justin Henry Malloy in big league camp. They'll come over and, and get some at-bats and get some reps. Okay. But I, I, w- I would say, though, with 54 people in camp, that there, there's going to be another 10 to 15 guys that are getting sent out this week because the season starts in two weeks and they need to get the roster down to a manageable amount of human beings. So just not going to be enough at bats or innings for everybody. I would imagine some more people are going to go out here pretty quickly, maybe by Wednesday, even sooner. So yeah, well that takes us well that takes us right into the bullpen though, right? Because it's some of those arms that that you know you're gonna to have to start making decisions on. And obviously all of that is is directly tied to the starting rotation where you know, there is some concern about, you know, Matt Manning and, and and we can talk about that now. We can talk about that later. But, you know, the rotation seems pretty set outside of one guy. And I, I think the bullpen is probably the bigger story right here just because th- there are so many different names. Let's discuss the starting rotation. We'll get into the relievers. There's a lot to discuss about the relievers. It's probably a revolving door. It'll be a long discussion. But starting rotation is a little more finite. Matthew Boyd through Sunday. Continues to look like Sandy Koufax. I think he struck out 17 guys in his last, you know, nine or 10 innings. Really mixing his pitches, really sharp, almost dominating. You saw him. Give us a little insight on what you saw. Yeah, he just looks really good. I mean, everything's pretty synced up. He talked a little bit about his delivery being out of whack, but I think that was more of just him nitpicking more than anything. He, he's looked super sharp. The sliders looked really good everything's coming together. Like I, I like what I've seen so far. The strikeouts are off the charts. It's kind of typical Matt Boyd, right? A guy who comes out of the gate pretty hot every single season. That's what we've all grown accustomed to in Detroit, watching him pitch and picking up where he left off in, in that sense, at least. So I like what I've seen out of him. I mean, he, he looks good. He looks really good. There's really no other way to put it. Everything's pitches are moving. He's doing a really good job of mixing his pitches and Seems like he's willing to throw everything. I really liked in at-bats against Willie Castro. He had two of them, actually, against Willie, a former Tiger utility player. He threw in a a first pitch, curveball, dropped it right in there for a strike, and then he goes to a fastball away, gets Willie to chase, and then he just throws that slider. It was so nasty in the dirt and got him to to swing and miss. And then the next at-bat, he throws another curveball in there and throws it for a strike, and, you know, Willie can't hit it. And that ends up, you know, striking him out again. And it's it's all good things for Matt Boyd so far. I love the way he's mixing his pitches. I love the way he's using that curveball. And the slider is sharp. He, he wants to be a four-pitch pitcher, and he sure looks like it right now. I mean, the fact that Willie Castro is chasing pitches in the dirt, I, I got to just be astonished by that. Does that surprise I, you, I Mark? I can't believe it. I, <laughs> you know, what I really like. He did draw a walk. He did draw a walk. I, I, what, I, what I really liked about Willie's day-to-day is the Tigers made sure that he did get to walk and he hit a homer because I think they, in a stealth way, want him to make the Twins roster. Might be a good idea to see if they can get Willie to make the Twins roster because it probably be much more productive facing him than uh, it was his thousand at-bats the last three seasons playing for him. So my feeling about Matthew Boyd, happy to see him do well, know he's going to eat innings. Anybody that knows me knows I'm not a huge Matthew Boyd fan. I think Matthew Boyd is what he is. And there's six months in a season. He's going to be outstanding for two of those months. He's going to be mediocre for another month. And the other three months, you're going to be kind of frustrated. He's had some very, very underrated seasons. He's been over four war before. He's gotten off to great starts. He's been a borderline all-star. It just all ends up in the same place. It ends up, you know, with an ERA somewhere between 450 and 550, 30 plus homers, it, it eventually deteriorates. I'm hoping one of these seasons that doesn't happen, but until it doesn't happen, it's, that's kind of how I see it. I, he's going to take the ball every fifth day and he hopefully will, uh, eventually have more good than bad one year. But I have, you know, in the seven years he's been here, it's been rare when over the course of a season, He's been able to maintain the high caliber months for more than 60 days. So that's, I promised you I'd be unvarnished about this stuff. And that's just kind of how I feel about it. Glad he's doing well, though. I want to talk about Michael Lorenzen for a second. He's thrown a couple times, came over from the Angels. It's a pretty checkered injury history, but has pretty 
damn good stuff. Really developed a, an excellent changeup. He went to a lot last year and has shown, at least in the first two outings, not quite sharp with command yet, but a lot of swing and miss, a lot of good stuff, kind of interesting. That's the X factor for him is can he throw strikes? Can he fill up the zone? That's kind of always been you know, the thorn in his side is, is not being able to get inside the strike zone and, and limit those walks. And that's going to be the biggest question for him all the way through. We know his stuff is good. He understands what he's trying to do as a starting pitcher now after coming back from an injury last season when he was out with the Los Angeles Angels. He dominated in September. He mixed his pitches while he knows exactly what he's trying to do against both righties and lefties. But now it just comes down to can you throw strikes and can you throw enough strikes? And that's that's kind of the biggest question. I, I, there really isn't much, in my opinion, to discuss about him other than he knows what he needs to do. He has really good stuff. But can he throw strikes? Can he be inside the zone? Because if he's going to be walking you know, three, four batters every game, that, that's going to be a problem. That's, that's literally the complete opposite of what you know, president of baseball operations, Scott Harris wants. And when he talks about you know, dominating the strike zone, that's not dominating the strike zone. Yeah, I'm excited to see what Chris Fetter does with that. Chris has historically been pretty good about making small tweaks and helping the sequencing of pitchers that start limiting their walk rate. And they can help Lorenzen. I think he can be quietly a, a pretty effective starting pitcher for the Tigers, which Leads me into somebody that has some similarities to Lorenzen and really looked interesting this week. Second start for Spencer Turnbull off of TJ. His first innings of these last two starts have been, you know, almost leaving both you and I with our mouth agape. They were so good, the first innings of both starts. Better in the second inning this time. Slider is, I, I, I texted you after he threw a couple sliders and you texted me back that you had seen him warm up in the bullpen and he had a few words for his catcher after he threw the first few and that, sl that slider was just something the other day. Really looks good. Got a probably in a, needs to build up. Got an endurance question. Need to get him up to being effective for 60 or 70 pitches. He seems to tire pretty quickly. After 30, 35 pitches, he's kind of gassed. But share with me a little bit when you when you saw him discuss with this catcher how good his slider was and what you're seeing from Spencer Turnbull. Yeah, he was throwing him to Eric Haas in the bullpen. And I was just standing out there, again, enjoying the uh, Florida sun that I get to bask in on a, on a daily basis. And just watched him throw that pitch, and he was ripping him and, and kind of got to a point where he said, oh, yeah, that, that, that feels good. That feels good. So it was beginning to end uh, of his second start. It was, you know, from the bullpen – the time that he walked off the mound, that the slider felt pretty good. He did struggle with it a little bit towards the end, only because, again, it's a volume thing with him. He's going to have to get built up. But that's that's so normal coming back from Tommy John surgery. I think it's really encouraging that his stuff looks off the charts. His fastball is you know sitting 94, 95. He wants to see more 96, 97. Out of that he pitch, he thinks he, but he thinks he can get it there. And he thinks that's the way that it's, that, that's the trajectory that it's going. I mean, this is two starts, you know, two, two real games since being back, and he looks dynamite. He looks like he could be the best pitcher in that rotation. Just the stuff is so good. And I think, too, he did answer some command issues, you know, going back to, you know, the season that he got injured in 2021. I mean, the, the walks per nine, down to 2.2. The year before that, 4.6. The year before that in 2019, 3.6. So he, he's answered some of the questions about the walks, which is why I don't think he profiles exactly like Lorenzen, but I do, you know, hear what you're saying in the sense of, when these guys are in the zone, they can be really good. Um, I think Turnbull is 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 further ahead in the throwing strikes category. He's shown that he can do it coming back. It's he's he's completely filthy. He is completely filthy. I, I think it's just all about building that pitch count now, getting him up to a point where he's going to be able to you know get to to 60, 70, and just build it up. He threw forty five pitches in his last start. So as long as that continues to build and the stuff stays the same, you're looking at a potential number one. And I'm not talking about number one as in, you know, Cy Young type, you know, number one, but I'm talking about number one in this rotation. It, it's been impressive so far. I love what I'm seeing. Well, it's exciting. His stuff has never been the issue. His durability has always been the issue. And I'll be excited to see if he can stay healthy. And I, I got to tell you, the stuff is just electric. I want to, you know, let, let's talk about Erod for a second. He he threw a couple times. He's been very, very, very good. Very workmanlike would be the way I would describe it. Seemed in a groove. He's going to throw here in the WBC. He's at the top of, top of the rotation. So you have Erod, Boyd, Turnbull, Lorenzen. But Eduardo is a proven quantity. 
think we've discussed this before. He's had years where he's won as many as 19 games. He's thrown over 200 innings before. And he looked pretty damn sharp the few the three times he's thrown down here in Lakeland. And I'll be excited to see when he comes back if he can continue on having one of those seasons where he's reliable and effective almost every time out. He's had many years that he's had seasons like that. And it's important that they can rely on him every five days. Yeah, keep an eye on him on Tuesday. He's going to be pitching in the WBC for Team Venezuela against Nicaragua. So it'll be good to watch him in that type of an atmosphere. It'll be interesting how he comes back from that too, knowing that it's just going to be a different atmosphere, pitching down in Miami in the WBC. It's his first time doing that. I'm really excited to see what that you know high-pressure environment is going to be like for him. If you've watched any of the WBC, which Mark, I know you have, that atmosphere is just electric, and you know the Tigers got a couple guys there. But for Erod, it's it's he's been working quick, he's been working fast, he's been really efficient. Everything looks pretty sharp. Another guy who, to me, kind of looks like uh, looks like Matt Boyd in the sense of everything is where it needs to be and then some right now. But because the WBC came in pretty well prepared to pitch this season, and it's so far so good for him. They're really going to need him at the top. I mean, they really are going to need him to be to be a guy up there as a, as, as a number one, number two, to really anchor the top of that rotation, to stay healthy through the season, to be someone they can count on for a ton of innings. And if he's pitching like he's pitching right now in the regular season, I think it's going to go just fine. This brings us to the elephant in the room. Matt Manning had a rough day Saturday. Pretty much had a rough time every time he's gone out so far this spring. Velocity has been down thrown for him an inordinate amount of breaking balls, which I'm not against, actually. If he wants to try to improve the quality of his breaking ball, because he needs to. But it is pretty concerning that his command's been poor, his velocity's down, and he's getting hammered. He likes to posture it as, I'm always one out away or one pitch away. And I've heard this from Matt many times. And Here's what I want to share with you. You and I have talked about this before. Last year, Matt Manning was actually pretty damn good. And he was pretty damn good depending on his fastball well over 60% of the time. And one of our favorite fastball pitchers to watch is Joe Ryan on the Twins. And Baseball Savant has an interesting way of measuring pitch effectiveness. And you know, Joe Ryan's fastball is one of the five most effective fastballs in Major League Baseball, the way they grade it. In performance, and if Matthew, if Matt Manning would have thrown as many innings as Joe Ryan last year, his fastball would have been even more effective than Joe Ryan. So, in the pantheon of starting pitchers, if Matt Manning would have thrown about 140, 150 innings last year, it'd have been a top five fastball for effectiveness in Major League Baseball. His fastball so far this spring is. You know, they need to send out a search party for it. He's been throwing 90-91. He dropped in a couple more 93-94 last year. I mean, three years ago, Matt Manning was throwing 100 mm-hmm. in spring training. So I'm not so concerned about him throwing 100. I would like to see him throw 94-95. I would like to see him throw it with the command he had last year. And then if he can add these breaking balls that he's been working so hard on, you might really have something. My biggest issue with Matt Manning is is it's always something. It's always some nagging injury. It's always a command issue. It's an issue where he can't get more than 12 outs and he starts falling apart after 65 pitches. It's, it's just one concern after another. It's like putting your finger in the dike because there's always something breaking and to be really honest with you, after watching A.J. Hinch for three years, A.J. Hinch has patience, but he only has so much patience. And part of being a good contributing player is being able to be consistent, being able to show up and be able to be relied on. So if I was Matt Manning, I would show a little more in my next start than I've showed so far because they have a very interesting, competent starting pitcher at number six right now in Joey Wentz. And it would not shock me if Matt Manning does not show more that he starts his season at Toledo and Joey Wentz is the fifth starter. Thoughts? I think we really need to see something from Matt Manning the next time he goes out and pitches. It's it's, it's a problem. It's time. You're, you're right. It's time. I mean, this is a, a former first-round pick who is supposed to be 
you know, it was supposed to be an anchor of, of the rebuild initially, right? It was Mize, Manning, Scooble, and, and there was all that hype. And, and Fajardo was in that mix too before he got hurt. And it, it's, where, where is Matt Manning? Where, where is Matt Manning? He's talked about, you know, not, not being developed correctly and, and all those kind of things. But like, just go out there and pitch. Like, it, it's time we see something and it's time we see him put it together and, and, and maintain it. Like, I want to see him do what guys like Matthew Boyd is doing and Spencer Turnbull is doing and Eduardo Rodriguez is doing right now. Like, th- these are all guys that are doing exactly what they need to be doing and, and they look really sharp and you're supposed to look sharp in spring training when you're a good big league pitcher and you're ahead of hitters and you're doing your job. And, and Matt's fastball is sitting 91. Like, that's not going to play like it did last year. You talk about the effectiveness of it. If that fastball is sitting 91, he's toast. He's absolutely toast. He had his best outings last year when he had the fastball working, you know, when he was able to command that pitch and place it anywhere he wanted, and then also had the slider going. And that was basically it for him. He's kind of like a, and I've talked to you about this. I've talked to other B writers who cover the team about this. He's a, a one and a half pitch pitcher with a, a fastball that's really good when it's 93, 94, 95, and a slider that when it's on, it can be effective and it plays off the fastball really well. But he's talked about too. I mean, but it's again, it's 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 where where's where's the change up? Like let's see the curveball, break it out. And and then we go to Saturday's start and he gets to two outs and and walks back to back batters and then you know he gives up a home run to Ozzy Albies. And it's it's missed on a curveball, missed on a curveball. He he was supposed to go up with it, left it down in the hot zone and gone. So he's not executing his pitches, he's not mixing his pitches, he's he, he's not he's not sequencing very well. It's kind of all, all signs are pointing to, to bad right right now with Matt Manning. And it's a concern. You should be frustrated if you're a Tigers fan. It's, it's about time for this guy to start showing it. And you would think that there'd be no better opportunity to do that than in spring training. And I get it. He had an injury last year and he didn't start throwing until, I think, January, you know, this offseason. But that, that's fairly normal. I, I think he had enough of a ramp to really get going. And I'm saying it. You're saying it. AJ Hinch is saying it like we're at the point now in spring training where you want to start seeing something and he's not showing it yet. He's not showing it. Yeah, I think I've uh, talked myself out on Matt Manning. I'm going to talk about Joey Wentz, but first I want to take a fast break. We'll be back. All right, uh, you know, uh, I'm a pretty big Joey Wentz fan based upon how he looked in September. Has not been as sharp so far in his few outings this spring, but nonetheless, pretty, pretty good, especially good the last two innings after he gave up a home run in his most recent outing. I think he had, how many, he had like six or seven whiffs with his cutter. I'm I'm a pretty big Wentz fan, and I think he's breathing right down the neck of Matt Manning, and they would feel very comfortable inserting him as the fifth starter if Matt doesn't obviously improve his game here a little bit. Big Joey Wentz guy, you kind of have to be after what he did in September last year and then going to the fall league and just absolutely dominating there. He looked so good. He overmatched everybody, which is why I wonder, like, is this guy really supposed to be in Toledo and, and how long is he supposed to be in Toledo for? Because if he's dominating the fall league, where you have a lot of those prospects that are basically, that's a lot of double A and, and kind of fringe triple A type guys, he made it look really easy. And I know he was coming off with a lot of momentum, but look, if Matt Manning gets it together and, and figures, his, figures his crap out, I think he's going to end up being in the starting rotation in the big leagues. And it doesn't sound like they're going to go with the sixth man. So it sounds like Wentz would probably be the number one in Toledo, just waiting on an injury, trying to polish up as much as he can before he gets that next opportunity. But if Manning falters, yeah, you have a great replacement option in Wentz, somebody that you can feel confident in and also somebody that you feel like you can develop at that level because he's ready for that level. He's ready to develop at, at that point. So I think as long as everything is sharp, it's kind of a no-brainer to slide him right in there if Manning does need a, a little trip down the highway there to Toledo. But for now, I think Joey Wentz is your, your number one in, in Toledo, and he's waiting on his moment, waiting on his opportunity. The cutter's real. It plays um, really wanted to incorporate his curveball more into his arsenal. That's a pitch that he actually threw more in the fall league just kind of by happenstance and and really enjoyed it. And the Tigers seem to think it plays well, so they want to see that a little bit more from him. But the cutter is that bread and butter. And when he has that pitch working, uh, he's really tough to hit. I think Joey Wentz will throw a lot of innings for the Tigers this year. Where he starts, don't know. But if I was Matt Manning, like I said, 
I'd start throwing quite a bit better than I've started my spring. All right, let's transition into the bullpen. The bullpen is in the state of flux. You've lost Joe Jimenez, Andrew Chafin, Gregory Soto, Michael Fulmer, who are basically those four guys were the back end of their bullpen last year, all gone. It's time to transition to some new faces. You still have Cisnero. You still have Foley. You still have Alex Lang, who on Sunday was Alex Lang, which is most of the time Alex Lang is very dominant. And then he will have an outing where he can't throw a strike and maybe gives up a dong and it looks pretty ugly. Happened today. Faced four hitters. Was out of there. But somebody's going to have to be the closer. I think you and I favor the idea of having Cisnero as the closer and Lang as the leverage reliever. But, you know, what, what are you seeing from the bullpen? It's still a work in progress. I got a lot of arms down there. Give me give me some of your perspective of what you think's happening. Yeah, there is there are too many names. There are just too many names at this point. I mean, it is there's a lot of guys in the mix and um, a lot of pitchers who could end up making this team and a lot of pitchers who could end up, you know, being sent out to Toledo, obviously. And that, that's going to have to happen here. As we move along in spring training, I think, you know, those kind of roster cuts also kind of send a message to the guys that are still there. Hey, you know, pressure's on, it's heating up, it's happening. So we're going to start to get into that as we continue on. From what I've seen so far, Alex Lang seems hit or miss still. Jason Foley, I I, I like his stuff. I think if he's able to bring a slider to the table that really plays, I think it makes that turbo sinker that much better. I think he's, you know, such a fascinating pitcher. And, um, and it's going to be really good for the Tigers. Jose Cisnero, we kind of know what he can do. Will Vest is an interesting name. Hopefully he can replicate what he was able to do last year. I don't think he's a high leverage reliever, but I do think he has you know middle inning type potential, someone that you could bring in when you really need it out in the fourth inning or in the fifth inning in a situation like that. You think Vest is a lock? I mean, he threw in 60 games last year. I'm not so sure, but I, but I think he I think he might be, but I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure right. about that. I think there are other other arms in the bullpen that could push him out, but I think it would be a front runner right now, most certainly. So those there's four arms right there. Now you got for left hander, everybody seems to think Tyler Tyler Alexander's a lock. I'm not necessarily from what I've seen of him. I don't think Tyler Alexander's a lock to come north. I, I, I think if he's not gonna throw over ninety and doesn't really have anything that looks too sharp. And obviously, Chasen Shreve is a pretty long-term veteran of Major League Baseball. He's had some very solid years as a situational left-hander, and he's looked extremely good. So I, I would almost tell you that Shreve is a lock to make the staff right now. I think so, too. I think Shreve is, is definitely going to be in the bullpen if I had to predict it right now today. Don't forget about Mason Engler either. He's going to have to be in there as well as a Rule 5 guy that they're going to have to carry all season long on the 26-man active roster. Otherwise, they got to send him back uh, to the Texas Rangers or at least offer him back. I'm sure they would take him because he's looked pretty dynamic. Let's talk about Mason Engler just for a second so people know where he came from and what his stuff is. Drafted, I think, from the Texas org, right? So yep. was a starting pitcher up in the A last year. Interesting guy. Pre-average Major League fastball, 92 to 95. Decent slider, but a real dynamic changeup. Real dynamic. And a lot of swag. Kind of a swaggy guy. I like guys that can throw strikes and have a good changeup. They typically, they, they have a little attitude out there because they feel pretty good about tricking hitters and throwing strikes. Englert has looked damn good so far. Yeah, I think you got to go to Freep.com and... Check out Jeff Seidel's latest on Mason Angler. Talked a lot about how he climbed out of a lot of depression in his life and things that he that he dealt with away from the field that actually kind of crept onto the field and really caused him to struggle. There were you know deaths in the family and, and panic attacks that he went through, and yeah, you know, obviously that's that's a, a tougher subject to to talk about than you know just the the, the baseball numbers and the changeup and things like that. But Jeff wrote a fantastic piece. Definitely worth going and checking out on Freep.com just to know a little bit more about who this guy is. Because as he's grown through that, yeah, he's really good. He's really good. I think he's going to be a special pitcher. He's going to be pitching out of the bullpen this season. But, you know, obviously you hold on to a guy and then you can do whatever you want with him as a rule five after you after you keep him for a year. So I could see him with starter potential in the future. Somebody that just has a lot of different stuff and he has a way about him where he's confident. He's entered into games so far this spring where... He's had his back against the wall. There's been runners on, and he's come come in the game, and he's handled it, 
handled it perfectly. He's handled it like somebody who's been there, done that before at the highest level. And so I really like him. I think he's going to be a good piece. And I think Tigers fans are going to enjoy both getting to know him and, uh, and watching him this season. All right. So now we're up to six that seem pretty set for the staff, not including Tyler Alexander. You also have the Holton kid they picked up from Arizona, who's thrown pretty well in his couple of outings. You got Miguel Diaz, who we saw in September last year, pretty much a fastball changeup guy. Pretty solid, though. Had, had some success in the major leagues. And Sunday, Trey Wingenner threw super dynamic arm they picked up from San Diego, been hurt for the last three years. 96-98 and a wipeout slider. Been beset by injuries now for almost three seasons, but looks healthy right now and is proved literally in every outing. Struck out the side in his inning today. Really good slider. Not sure he's going to start the season in Detroit, Day, but he would probably maybe be the first call-up they have from Toledo if he doesn't make the team. And I think relievers, people forget, but you know relievers are going to be a revolving door. You're going to see two, three relievers in the first 45 to 60 days of the season. So it's, they don't make the team straight out of spring training. There's going to be two, three, four guys that are going to be coming up before May 15th. And guys like Diaz and Holton and Winchester, they're, they're all going to get their shot the way they're throwing. They're throwing pretty well. Yeah, I agree. So their bullpen is... Obviously, nothing like it's been the past few years, but it seemed like Harris has done a pretty decent job of assembling some interesting arms. It'll probably take them four to six weeks during the season of to try and define roles a little bit. You got any idea who's going to be the closer? No idea. No idea. I think they've done a good job of getting enough arms in there where pitching coach Chris Fetter will be able to work his magic and probably will be closer by committee and, until someone really stands out. So the first week, you know, the first I, next week, I think we'll start seeing some definition in the bullpen. You know, the, the season starts on the 30th of March, and uh, we're, we're getting to that time where they'll get a little more serious. All right, we need to take a break. We'll be back. All right, I want to I want to talk a few minutes about the most fun part of spring training that we've seen before, and that would be Parker Meadows. So a lot of people think he's making the team out of spring training. I think we need to discuss that. I think it's probably unlikely unless he hits about another two or three homers. But uh, he's been a lot of fun so far, huh? Yeah, Parker Meadows has been a blast. So has Andre Lipschitz. I don't think either of them are going to make the team, just considering the fact that uh, there's a few things that they want each of them to work on and, and each of them to accomplish. Look, I think one way of looking at this is Parker Meadows, you know, entering Monday is hitting 321 with four homers, two walks, 10 strikeouts. Um, what if he went 0-4 in his next 10 at-bats? He'd be hitting 237. Would he be feeling the same way? I don't think so. Um, so that just kind of puts the numbers into perspective. Andre Lipschitz will kind of combine them because I think they're both you know, two standout guys who you know, were just added to the 40 man. He's hitting 276 with four homers, zero walks, three strikeouts. I think the fact that he's only struck out three times is really impressive. But what if he went 0-4 in his next 10 at bats? He'd be hitting 205. We probably wouldn't be as excited about him. You, you know, the the irony of both those guys is they both walked a ton last season, and they have not really walked a lot this spring training. So the idea that they haven't walked a lot, I don't necessarily think is a huge negative. When you look at the back of the baseball card, numbers for both of them, I mean, Lipsius walks a ton. So I'm, I'm actually not too concerned that they haven't walked. But what I don't think people understand is, is that the caliber of pitching you're seeing now is not quite the caliber of pitching you're going to see in a major league game. Although yesterday, or excuse me, Saturday when... When Meadows went off, he did face some pretty quality major league pitching. He actually faced a left-hander and had a base hit. So those are all good signs. But I, I think for Parker Meadows, it there's a lot of moving parts going on here. He's going to, you know, if he were to make the team, he's going to play center field. It pushes Green to left, which is not necessarily a bad thing long term. But well, he's, I don't, I don't, I don't think he's making the team. So I don't really think that, you know, it, it, it matters at this point, right? I mean, he, he's. He's definitely opened eyes. Like, look, this is important. What what Parker Meadows is doing is so important for this organization moving forward because you got a taste of it last year. 
Um, what he was able to do against fastballs last year, the production on contact improved significantly. Um, his contact rate against fastballs increased by eight percentage points. His chase rate against fastballs decreased by 10 percentage points. I mean, this is a guy that went from not being able to hit a fastball and not being on time for a fastball to being able to barrel up fastballs because of some swing changes that he made. And now we're seeing him do it in big league spring training against arms that he has watched on TV in the big leagues you know, for a long time. And that, that's really encouraging. We got to see him do it more often. Like I said, if he was over in his, in his next 10 at-bats, he'd be hitting 237. We probably wouldn't be as excited about him. So just keep that in perspective because of the sample size. But yeah, I, I like Parker Meadows. I like what he's doing. Andre Lipschitz is kind of a different story. He played in AAA last year, unlike Parker. But, you know, he needs to work on his defense. Like that's the thing that um, the Tigers are hammering home right now is he plays third base. He's played some second base. He can do some things in the infield, but they really want him to play first base. First base is the key. Developing at that position is what's going to get him to the next level so they could have some versatility. It kind of funnels into what I was saying about Ibanez and, and Nevin. You know, the Tigers brought in these two guys who play primarily third base, but also can play first base. And they need someone who can also play first base. It's not just going to be Spencer Torkelson. What if they need a pinch runner for Torkelson? What if Torkelson needs a day off? And I don't think they plan on Scope being that guy that slides over and playing first. So now they need somebody who can play both of those corners. It's why we see, it's why we, it's why we saw Nevin and Abanez. And look, to, not to get too deep into what's happening with the, the roster, but if Cesar Hernandez is going to make the team and he's going to be primarily kind of a second baseman in tandem with Scope and more of a true utility guy, that gets me down to two players to play on that other part of the platoon with Nick Maton at third base. That's Abanez and Lipschitz. And if Lipschitz is starting in Toledo, is Abanez not your guy? Possibly. Again, we still have a ways to go. But they really want to see Lipschitz improve at first base. So far, the defense there has been pretty bad. It's been it's been pretty rough. And so that's going to have to develop if he's going to be on the big league team and, and, and on the roster. And that's not going to happen out of camp, I don't think. Now, and again, things can change if, if he continues to tear it up. And, you know, even then, I, I just don't see it happening. I, I just don't see it happening with either of those guys. But it doesn't mean that what they're doing isn't important. That that's the thing. Well, it doesn't mean that what they're doing isn't important. I, I think this week will be very interesting. You have uh, Jonathan Scope is probably will be back in camp tomorrow. He's going to likely play a ton this week, but I, I would not be shocked if Lipsius started playing some second base too. Because a simple solution to that problem, we know Scope can play first. He's not great there, but he's okay. He's had a lot of you know, a lot more time. But Mark, there. I don't think that and, helps you long-term. I don't think that helps you long-term no, because because Jonathan Scope is going to be gone if he's not hitting. He's going to be gone possibly a, a couple months into the season, if not at the deadline or if not at the end of the season, if you really have to hold on to him. But at that point, you're going to cut bait. Like, he's not the future. Why, why would you waste first-base reps on him when you could have other guys who could be here longer-term playing that position and getting more comfortable when needed outside? Now, look, in, in an injury situation, if you need to slide him over, fine. I don't think Jonathan Scope is going to start at first base. Well, the, o- the only reason I bring this up is if they need somebody to play first base, Scope can play there. Lipsius has played second base before, and he's probably a better second baseman than he is a first baseman. I agree, but point. he doesn't develop in that way. There, then, then, there's no, then there's no defensive development because he can already do that. I, I get it, but I don't know how much defensive development he's going to have once the season starts anyways. And probably by the time they figure out if they want to keep Scope or not, in 2023, Tyler Nevin might be ready to play coming up from Toledo, and Andre Lipsius will go back down to Toledo, and they're obviously free to play him wherever they need to down there out, outside of everybody's uh, watchful eye. So I'm not too concerned if he plays first or not. I do get the feeling there's a pretty good chance he's more than in the mix to come north to play as a utility player, at least for as long as, uh, you know, Andy Abanez and, and Tyler Nevin are not healthy enough to take this, take the job from him. So I'm not, I'm not as worried about it as you are, but I, I think your point is well taken long term. I just don't think they're going to be that concerned if you can't play first base. No, I think, I think my point is just more to the fact that, you know, for him to make the opening day roster, they would like for him to be, um, you know, at least a at least a serviceable first baseman, and right now that's just not what he is. So that's what he's going to work yeah. on in Toledo. That's gonna that's what that's what he's going to go down there and work on if he does end up going down there. But yeah, I I, I think he's going to be be going to Toledo with Parker Meadows, and and we'll see what they do because those are two guys that have obviously shown that they can hit. But can you sustain it? Can you do it um, for a long period of time? 
we'll see. Time, time will tell on that. I think also it'll be interesting to see when all these guys come back from the WBC. You got Javier Baez playing for Team Puerto Rico. You got Miguel Cabrera playing for Team Venezuela. Those guys are obviously locked in. How is Jonathan Scope going to look coming back from, uh, from playing for Team Netherlands? They got knocked out of the WBC on Sunday. And so he's going to come back into camp and he's, he's, he's got, he's got to turn it up. He's got to turn it up. It's, it's, it's been a frustrating, really long stretch for him. He struggled last season, the entire year. He was literally the worst qualified hitter in baseball last year. And he went to the Caribbean series to play for Curacao before spring training, struggled there, didn't hit well at all. Went to the WBC. He struggled there too. So this is just like a really long period of struggling. Like we're almost coming up on a year of Jonathan Scope just being a bad hitter. It's time for that to change. Andy Abanez is going to come back from Team Cuba at some point. Like I said before, they mentioned they've moved on to the next round. Jack O'Laughlin, let's not forget about him pitching for Team Australia. He's a, a minor leaguer pitching a pretty cool upset they had over Korea this week, and I, I got a chance to talk to him. That was that was pretty neat. But all eyes are going to be on Abanez and Scope coming back from the WBC. I'll tell you that. Yeah, Scope's going to have to turn it up. I think he was one for thirteen in for Curacao, and it's you know I. We, we, you and I have had many debates and discussions. We think the probability is very low they would cut him before the season started, but he's got a very, very short window of time to start being more productive. And, you know, I, I just don't think that A.J. Hinch is going to be too happy if Jonathan Scope is not hitting. Well, I don't think Scott Harris is going to be very happy either. And I think, you know, that, that probably sends a message that you don't want to send to your team, you know, cutting him before opening day. Also, you'd be eating seven and a half million dollars, which I don't think is wise to do in any circumstance, um, especially with it being a one-year deal. Like that's that's kind of what it boils down to to me. But also, I don't think it sends a great message through the clubhouse if you're going to cut Jonathan Scope before spring. I think it probably rub a lot of people the wrong way. Now, granted, on the flip side of that, maybe it does send a message of like, you better hit and you better control the zone, otherwise you're toast. But I, I think that would that that probably wouldn't be great for a team that you know, doesn't have postseason aspirations in the way that they've spoken about their goals. They've talked about just competing for as long as they can. They haven't said we want to compete for the playoffs or compete for a World Series or this is our year or anything like that. Um, if that were the case and there were an immediate replacement, maybe it makes a little bit of sense. But, you know, you really don't have anybody. You're also really not trying to, to, to go out there and win in terms of making these crazy declarations that you're going to go all the way this year. So, I don't think there's a problem with leaving him on the roster, seeing what he can do, but he's going to be sitting on the bench a lot this season if he doesn't start hitting. And that's why they got Cesar Hernandez. He's played great defensively. He's had a ton of doubles so far in spring, and he looks pretty good. I don't think Jonathan Scope's going to sit on the bench. He's either going to play or get cut. So he, it, it's pretty do or die for him. I don't think we're breaking news here on this, but you know he's got a short window and needs to start hitting and period, end of story. So... Ev, uh, we've covered a lot of ground today. Spring training can get pretty long. Tigers had a good week. I'd like to thank our executive producer, sports editor, Kirk Crawford, our other executive producer, intern editor of the Detroit Free Press, Anjanette Delgado, our producer, Robin Chan, my grandson, Braden Michael Gorash, Evan's fiance, Savannah, my pizza guy at Primo's, Mike, and my buddy, the Podfather. So for Evan Petzold, we'll see you next week. Peace.